Hello and welcome to this episode of Game on Girl, the podcast where we talk about gender and game culture. I'm your host, Regina McMenemy. And I'm your co-host, Rhonda Oglesby. And today we're turning to our series of introductory game topics. And we're going to cover first-person shooters, or FPS. And you probably hear, heard us mention this term from time to time. And we're not trying to confuse you with uh, frames per second, which is also another abbreviation for FPS. First-person shooters are a form of video game, obviously, where you are, as the main protagonist of the game, uh, taking a first-person point of view, and you are shooting things up. So first-person perspective means generally you're seeing things from the world, much like you would in your real life. Often all you can see of your avatar on the screen is your hand holding a gun or wielding a sword of some kind, depending on what type of game you're playing. And shooters, as I think we've talked about before, generally have guns involved in them, but they also have some melee contact as well. Yeah, you can sort of imagine it like this. The FPS is very much in a 3D perspective. Um, It's different from your side-scrolling games where you saw one dimension. This, you really have got some depth into the graphics. So look at it this way. Let's say that you're in a corner coffee shop at a downtown area where the uh, coffee shop has a storefront window. And you're standing in front of the window and you're holding the newspaper and you're watching the traffic. So the thing that you see the most in your perspective is going to be your hands and the newspaper. That's going to be the absolute closest thing to your face. And then if you look out the window in your perspective, you still see your hands, but then you also see people walking by on the sidewalk. And then you see cars pass them driving up down the road. And then on the other side of the street, you see other people walking up and down. But those people will appear smaller than the people that are right next to your window because they're farther away. But you still see your hands and you still see the newspaper because those still are in your foreground. So that's kind of the way first-person shooters work. Exactly. You're always sort of, you always got the view of of your hands. Um, Sometimes if you don't have a weapon, you just see your fists Um, or, you know, your hand holding a gun. So you always see that sort of in the forefront. And then whatever environment you're in or whatever bad guys are around you, you see, like Rhonda said, in varying degrees of perspective out from from your first person perspective. And when you're turning the character that you're playing and you're moving your avatar, it's as if you're turning your head as opposed to a three-dimensional point of view, a third person where you see your full avatar. Yeah, give some of the uh, distinguishing characteristics of first-person shooters. For instance, the more often than not, they are going to be the graphics are going to be dealing in extreme realism. Right. There's going to be a lot of detail in what's going on. You can see this in games like Call of Duty and um, my personal favorite first-person shooter, which is Left 4 Dead. There's lots of blood and gore that's happening, and it's in a very realistic way. Like, if you are using one of my favorite weapons in uh, Left 4 Dead, the chainsaw, there's actually blood spattering on your perspective. So on your screen, you see the blood spatter kind of like it would spatter on your face if you actually were chopping up zombies with a chainsaw. Yeah, the same thing happens in Borderlands when you're fighting Mm. things like spiders. There are spiders that spit poison and that some spit spider webs. And that will actually cover your screen just like it would your face or your eyes and hinder your vision. Right, right. And obscure your perspective and make it 
harder for you to to uh, shoot or fight. Um, and that brings the point of another aspect of FPS is close combat. Right. Because it's right in your face, there are many times that if you d- go into melee attacks, which is basically hand-to-hand combat, um, close combat, someone either running right up into your face trying to hit you, that action happens very close into the screen. Yeah, sometimes too close for comfort. <laughs> yes. And I find myself when I'm playing Borderlands 2 wishing I had the option like I do in Left 4 Dead. When you right-click in Left 4 Dead, you actually push the zombies off yourself. Yes. And push them back, which is just fantastic ability to be able to have. And I get into Borderlands and sometimes I'm like, do this, do this, and it doesn't do that. So... <laughs> sometimes yeah, it, it's too close for comfort combat <laughs> yeah because if you think about the the 3d perspective if the if the action is happening really really far away it's in a, a smaller area of the screen and you've got more control over it whereas if the action is happening right in your face you have a whole lot less perspective and the action is happening so fast it's it it's pretty realistic to a certain degree Mm -hmm. but it also introduces one of the issues that fps has in that with some people it it can cause some motion sickness yeah there are some games i haven't been able to play because of that motion sickness um problem uh with with turning around and um uh, just the swing of the camera back and forth will sometimes give me that sensation actually that happened to me or i'll get a headache which happened the last time i was playing borderlands 2 because my um graphic setting got changed and it got set on a really low resolution and I couldn't figure out I was playing for about 20 minutes and I'm like why do I have like a screaming headache and I stopped playing and the headache went away and I realized that the the low pixel density it was it was actually causing me that that headache first from straining to to see so I had to make sure to go in and change (laughs) my settings to fix that because that was unpleasant so well and that kind of introduces the another aspect of mm-hmm. first person shooters and that is they tend to have ext- very accurate representations of like gravity and lighting and sound the like you were talking about when you turn in the scene mm-hmm. just like standing in the storefront window you only have perspective from i mean you've got very very slight uh, peripheral vision and the right. same thing happens in a first person shooter but typically what's so wonderful is you can look up and down which means you can almost look like all the way down to your feet and straight up to the sky or if you right. stand in one position you can turn in a 360 degree circle but right. you just like in reality you cannot see what's going on behind you Right. The the cool thing about first person shooter perspective is uh, a lot of the games that have you standing up on top of a tower or they have you in like a manhole, you've got that whole same limits on on perspective or you've got the expanded perspective of being on top of a building and being able to see out. Right. In the manhole cover, you can look up and peek over the edge. Right. 
you know, that, that, that whole thing is really cool. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about many of the setups in Borderlands too. I love getting up behind, you know, like a barricade of some kind and, yeah. um, peeking out around the side <laughs> so that I can see the bad guys and they have less chance to hit you, uh, which is something I had to learn because the vast majority of times I've gamed, I've been a, a ranged, more of a ranged character and not needed that kind of protection because there's usually, in other types of games, there's a tank who's taking all the damage and they're not paying as much attention. The bad guys aren't paying as much attention to the people who are off in the back. So Yeah, and that there's a that's another layer of realism too, because mm-hmm. I know in uh what game was it I was playing recently, can't remember, but you're walking along and you can trip booby traps. Oh yeah. And so your peripheral because it's giving you pretty much a, a real real life vision if you're Mm -hmm. not looking at your feet you might trip a trip wire or you can be attacked from the back and a lot of times where you're standing and you're walking down the road and you're like what is hitting me and you have to turn around (laughs) or you have to look up and there's someone sniping you from a tower right which is what you're supposed to be doing, yeah. which is totally unfair and, and not very nice of them. And with my Zero, it, it's really kind of a pain because I buffed him so that he doesn't uh, take, it doesn't show as much damage when he's being hit. Like when I have the sniper rifle on and I'm looking through the scope, it doesn't move as much anymore when I'm being attacked uh, as it used to. Because okay. that's one of the talent trees you can pick for that oh, character. Yeah. Which is great, except that sometimes I'm, like, not paying attention to the fact that I'm taking massive amounts of damage because I don't actually see it moving until I, you know, take the scope away. And I'm like, oh, great. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, and we've mentioned a couple of terms which will come into play when you're when you may be talking about FPS and we're talking about uh, skill trees and stuff. We mentioned melee and ranged weapons and melee, like I said earlier, is close combat and you can still be holding something in your hand. You close combat. You could be fighting with your fist. You could fight with a knife, a club, a rock. Ranged weapons are long-distance weapons, and they can be anything from uh, a rifle, or they could be a rocket launcher or a sniper rifle. Right. Right. Exactly. You can have all kinds of different uh, damage-producing <laughs> uh, distance weapons, usually in um, a first-person shooter, or ones that you want to have. Uh, to do more close-up damage as well, like right. sawed-off shotguns and things like yes. that that you want to be handling when your enemies are sort of closer up to you. Yeah, shorter-ranged weapons, yep. pistols, and, and stuff like that. Yep. And th- this kind of folds into the type of genres that you will typically see with first-person shooters, and that's obviously action. Um, sometimes there's role-playing, uh, and typically it's a shooter type game like mass effect is considered a role-playing game but it definitely has a shooter aspect to it right Um, right. now that but mass effect is um third person yes yeah where you can actually see your avatar so that's that's one of the distinctions we should make here is between yeah um there are different types of shooters and we're talking about a specific type of shooter being first person which relates to the perspective that you're playing 
as the gamer, the perspective you're seeing from. So third person, you def- you stand back, you have a more top-down view of the avatar where you can see your whole avatar's body, you can see the surrounding areas. You're not having those limitations that Rhonda was talking about in terms of perspective and um, right. peripheral vision because you can see all the way around your avatar. Yeah, and that, that gives the game developers and designers a little more freedom right. because then they can design an actual character right they can have personality they'll have clothes they'll have facial features color and stuff like that where in first person shooters they don't necessarily have to do that no there's there's generally not as much emphasis put on those aspects of gameplay in first person shooters as i've mentioned several times on the show i played a first person shooter called brink a while back and uh one of the reasons why I didn't attach to it was because I couldn't have as much control over my avatar as I really wanted to have. Namely, I couldn't play a female avatar, which I'm still kind of irritated about, guys. So really. Um, (laughs) 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 But but one of the justifications is that in first-person shooters, you're not looking at your character as much. You're really only seeing your character's hand. But when we start getting first-person shooters that are multiplayer, you want to still have that at least many of us who have self-gamers involved in their identity, still want to have that representation of themselves, at least to some degree, um, in their game characters. Yeah, I think the the addition of skins, uh, and that's another good term, of skins in Borderlands 2, Mm -hmm. I think is a very good contributing feature for self-players. Right. Because Borderlands 2 is a first-person shooter. Really, all you see is the person carrying that you're you carrying the gun right but there are it's a multiplayer game and so you can see the other players and even just for me even if i just dress my play my avatar up in a skin it is psychological to knowing what i'm wearing even if i can't see it all the time right exactly we we don't always need to be able to to see the character for its representation to impact how we're how we feel about gaming or how we feel about playing that day or how we're engaging because i remember in a previous episode you talked about uh when you're feeling ironic you would put your character in pink (laughs) and different changes like that Um, To go back a couple of steps, a skin is generally something that changes just the physical appearance of your avatar. So you can have different skins that will change the color or the design of the clothes perhaps that you're wearing. Or in terms of Zero from Borderlands 2, I have several um, helmets that were skins that I picked up as I've been playing. And they're often collectibles. They're things that you come across either in vending machines or in loot drops as as you play the game. Yeah, I've got a skin for my siren in Borderlands that is uh, predominantly the game on girl colors. It's purple and green. Right on. That's awesome. Well, I tend to favor those colors just in general anyway. And (laughs) the first skins I put on on Zero were purple as well. Um, I've gone in and and I've had times where I've changed. I think I just put them in orange just because I wanted to be obnoxious. (laughs) Oh, I I was at one point I was running with two other people that were also playing Zero. So I went and made sure to go in and pick colors that were different from what they were playing too because it makes it easier for you to identify who you're looking at so um the other uh, a more rare genre of of what might be considered a first person visual is uh simulators right flight simulators or tank simulators or driving simulators yes mm-hmm. exactly um driving games very often uh fall either into first or third person either you can see the complete car you're driving or 
or you see yourself as if you're behind a, a steering wheel. Right, right. And often in driving games, you can change that perspective and you can choose to either be first person or third person, depending on how you choose to play the game. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. in, in um, Gran Turismo, uh, which I used to play on my PlayStation and my PlayStation 2, um, that was an option that you had. I have a driving game for my Xbox, but I've only played it like two times. I can't remember what the name of it was, but it was also a choice you had to. You had a button. One of the um, trigger buttons would actually change your perspective. Okay. I don't I don't uh, play driving games. So. Yeah. Well, I don't either. <laughs> Mostly because I found that the, that the noise I find to be irritating sometimes, which might be um, just the, the repetitive nature of, yeah. you know, yeah. over and That over gets over to again. me too in yeah. the games. Yeah. Um, we mentioned several examples already, Borderlands and uh, Left 4 Dead. First person shooters have been around for quite a while. Oh, yes. Um, Wolfenstein 3D is frequently credited with being one of the first. Mm-hmm. But it's it's one of many, like Doom and Duke Nukem. Right. They were all in the same time frame and the same era. I, I played Doom so much in college that um, I actually ruined the button on my laptop. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> From having shot so much and so many times. Uh, with the like the the left click button that I actually destroyed the I destroyed the trackpad and had to have it replaced, <laughs> all from playing Doom. <laughs> well, better the keyboard or the controller than your finger. Uh, absolutely, arthritis and cramping and <laughs> oh man, all those kinds of things for sure. Uh, some of the more recent games, uh, Thief, Resident Evil, Star Wars is historically been FPS. Mm-hmm. Other great games, but the the other thing that you're seeing that we've mentioned, obviously because part of the name is shooter. Um, besides motion sickness being an issue, sometimes it's an issue for people that because the games are more realistic, you're getting more and more realistic violence. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, more more blood and more gore and more guts, which seems to be sort of just a just a trend in general in media, not just in video games, but in movies and even television shows show a lot more blood than they used oh, to, yeah. you know, 20 years ago even. So, you know, that that's sort of a, a, a trend that's following this as well. Yeah, just something that um, you should be aware of when you're looking for games. Um, I, I believe that the public defines what is acceptable in the marketplace. I believe in a free marketplace. So just be aware of the games that you're buying because you are doing a first person shooter. A lot of times the violence, especially if there's melee combat will be right in the screen. Right. And it will be right on top of you and very visual and very visceral. And there are a lot of games that give you options to turn off some of the graphic violence, which is a really great um, uh, moving sort of forward and, and sort of forward thinking on game companies, you know, mindsets where you can actually say, okay, I don't really want to see all of the blood and gore of this. So I can, you know, go into my options and click a setting and make it so it's not quite so bloody. So if it does end up bothering you, that might actually help a little bit with the motion sickness issues as well, Mm -hmm. because sometimes it is those effects that are part of what's giving you your motion sickness or upsetting your, you know, your experience of it. So keep that in mind. Um, Let's see. We talked about range weapons. Another term, at least it it was new to me within the gaming context was strafing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. We mentioned you can move 360 degrees, but strafing means you just move directly to the left or to the right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you're usually keeping, you can keep your perspective straight on so you can see what you're shooting at, but you can, by strafing, you can move back and forth and avoid maybe some of the damage that's being dealt to you, which can be really handy and took me a really long time to get used to. I'm a little bit better at it now. I'm still sort of. Yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough. It is. It's a, yeah, it's a bit of, it's a bit of a skill to learn uh so is the ability to be able to run backwards and shoot (laughs) which actually i'm pretty good at i do that a lot (laughs) my problem is i run backwards off of cliffs yeah yeah i I tend to have that problem i have that problem actually or into vats of uh, poison and uh, volcanic um molten lava in uh orcs must die so or orcs must die too i'll often sort of run off an edge and be like oh no Yeah, I mean, it's really cool because it adds to the realism of the situation. You have to know where you are. Are you on a dock? Are you on top of a building? Are you in a hole? You know, what is, what are your ground features and how is that going to hinder you? A lot of times I get stuck (laughs) because I'll back up behind a barrier and I won't know it. And the enemy has me pinned down and I can't get out. And it's because I back myself in a corner. I am guilty of that as well, in a corner or underneath uh, something, and I try to jump to get out of it. And oh, I yeah. Jump, and then I'm stuck, and then I panic because I'm stuck, and I'm being killed. And then and then sometimes it's just a relief to die Yeah, that in, that, in that situation because I'm just like, well, fine, just get it over with and let me get out of here. So um, so that that's also part of what adds to the layers of complexity that can be found in first-person shooters. A lot of critiques or a lot of people who tend to play role-playing games think that shooters don't have the same kind of complexity and depth mm. that those games have. And there still is a, a fair amount of complexity and depth and engagement that you can have in these games as well. Yeah, and I, I appreciate the creators mm-hmm. thinking about that because r- really I have – it's been a long time since I've been in a game – where you can win it just by shooting everything up. Right, yeah. You always have to have some sort of strategy involved, and there's still problem-solving involved, even if, unfortunately, sometimes in Borderlands, the strategies that we come up with are, where exactly are we supposed to be on this map? (laughs) Yeah, or the fact that you get into some areas where the enemies uh, continually respawn. And what that means is that I can enter a screen and it can show me that I have five enemies and I will kill them all. And then there'll be five more show up. Right. And they just continually show up, which is respawning. And it takes a few minutes for me to realize that I just need to leave, (laughs) that I'm not going to come to an end of this they're going that I am triggering this yeah, by simply being you're standing on the respawn button <laughs> yeah. so it yeah. sometimes run away is a strategy yeah, it is absolutely and I think uh, I can't remember which game it was oh it was Diablo actually that Mark had said to me when we were playing he's like Regina there's nothing wrong with running away <laughs> that's exactly right it's a strategy. It is a strategy. Run away, heal up, exactly. get some first aid or something, and and go back in. Which was one of our one of our things that you know you can heal yourself generally. Um, sometimes shooters will have uh, classes or class trees that you can build to be healers. Um, I think it's it's Maya right in uh, Borderlands who has the nurse tree that you can build. 
Yes. Yes. And who can heal. So sometimes you can have another player heal you, but you can also carry um, first aid with you and heal yourself or heal other players often with the first aid that you're carrying in your pack or on your person. Yeah. First person shooters, a lot of the action games have what they call a HUD or a heads up display. And this is some really abbreviated, efficient information on the screen that will tell you things like how healthy you are, mm-hmm. how much ammunition you have left. And sometimes they'll show a little mini map that gives you an idea of where you're at uh, on your bigger map. And sometimes it'll show you the enemies that are in your area. Right. The enemies and also your other players if you're playing multiplayer. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it, that comes in really handy mm-hmm. knowing where, especially if you're playing multiplayer, where mm-hmm. your other characters are at. So if you get really, really separated and you happen to be a healer, you're not going to be able to heal a person if they're on the other side of the building. Yeah, exactly. Because you need to generally have uh, what's called LOS or line of sight to actually do your healing of your of your teammates. So they need to be within visual range of you to be able to do that. I remember that popping up a lot actually running dungeons in World of Warcraft because as a ranged um, damaged person, I liked to be behind and in corners. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> then you're far away and you're not likely to get hit by things. Um, but if you're too far away, sometimes you can be out of line of sight of your healer and that doesn't end well. Yeah, and you'll notice too, we keep talking about skill trees, um, your characters can have a varying degree of abilities and you usually have a great deal of control on how you define that. Mm -hmm. And you'll notice that there are checks and balances, right? A character that tends to be a healer will themselves take damage very easily. Right. And you'll want to play that character like a ranged character, play them far back or be a lot smarter when you're playing uh, hand-to-hand combat or melee combat because they take so much damage. Right. But they can heal the, all the different characters on the, the playing field. I One of my main abilities that I jacked up really fast in Borderlands was being able to just get line of sight on uh, my co-players and zapping them, and it immediately brings them back to life. Mm, yes, that's uh, that's very handy. I have uh, someone I play with who has that same ability, so that's come in handy more than once. Especially when, as I said, I'm I'm blind and not noticing the uh, damage that I'm taking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And they can just give me a quick shot and, and all of a sudden, yay. And often they use, because it, what, one of the things I love about Borderlands 2 is that the healers use the same guns that you're using in the game, but they're using them for healing. So yes. um, one of the people that I play with has a, a tendency as a healer to like rocket launchers Yes, <laughs> for healing, which the irony there is just fantastic. I know, it's so fun. Because usually if I'm playing with John and... He'll he'll sit there and he's like, what what is hitting me? And it's like I am. I'm trying to heal right. you. <laughs> like, yeah. He'll say, what are you shooting at? I'm like you. you. <laughs> and he usually is running, and uh-huh. so I'm having to chase him down, and so I have to say, stand still, right. so I can heal you. Down. Take it down a notch. Just come here. Try not to. Well, move. I think we've hit most of the major terms. I think the only other one I wanted to maybe talk about is one I didn't hear that frequently before, but it's a really good term to know: uh, sandbox environment or mm-hmm. free roam. Yeah, yep, yeah. This was this was new to me, but it has to do with the the, the whole characteristic of the world being open, or in other words, your map of the area that you're in 
you are not restricted typically as to where you can go. Right, right. You can wander into any area of the game. You can do anything you want. You don't have to follow missions or quests or whatever other lines of action you might have. For instance, let's say um, I know that um, Bioshock and Borderlands... Diablo all have these these characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say you you start the game in one city. Let's mm-hmm. say you start in Atlanta, and you've got missions there, and you're in downtown Atlanta, so you can go to the Marriott Hotel or the Hilton Hotel or whatever. Right. But then your next mission is in Dallas. Right. You can go to Dallas, and then you explore that area of that map. But you can always go back to Atlanta. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and you, yeah, you can go back and forth. Yeah, you can go back and forth between the the locations and the different um, types of bad guys and different things that you're doing or different, you know. Yeah, it's also referred to as uh, it's nonlinear. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Where you don't have to follow the storyline in particular, um, yeah. but you can you can jump back and forth. It's one of the things actually that's that makes or has at least in the past for me made. Um, MMORPGs really attractive is that idea where you can just kind of jump in and do some things and you don't have to necessarily quest if you don't want to. Also involved at least some of those games, not in first person shooters is like crafting and things that you can do as well in sandbox environments where you go in and you're gathering um, materials and then building things from them. Yeah, there, there are more aspects to these games than just the shooting. Exactly, yeah. There are tasks and missions. People ask you to do favors for them, or you have to go meet people, solve problems, right. uh, gather parts or machinery. Uh, sometimes you've got to uh, build towers, tell, tear down towers. The, the missions vary, and that's what's kind of cool is you kind of get this Along the way, you kind of get this bucket of things to do, and it'll tell you, well, these are minor side missions, or these are main story missions, and you can do as much of them as you want. Right, exactly. And and as a note, we're we're talking about first-person shooters or FPS games that we're playing either multiplayer or single-player, but are primarily playing against the artificial intelligence or the AI of the game itself. There's also a whole subculture of first-person shooter games prevalent in like Halo and Call of Duty and some of the other games like that where you go in and you play specifically PvP which is person versus person so you're actually playing other people who play the game on a network as well so we've been talking primarily about what it's like when you play against the computer or against the game as opposed to playing against other players yeah i think call of duty is another one like that Mm -hmm. Uh, it's one my husband has played quite a bit and he's playing against other players on the server right and so they are their characters are shooting each other and so there is really no artificial intelligence or npc non player characters in the game right they are all avatars backed by a real life player right everybody that you're going up against in those situations are you know it's a battle of actual player against player so pvp so if you ever hear that term pvp or you hear somebody on the show refer to playing or preferring to play pvp that's what they're talking about going in and actually going up against other real players as opposed to just playing against the computer or the game itself. PvP is not, not one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, actually, that was <laughs> what I was going after. Pretty heavy-duty achievement line in 
World of Warcraft to get this, you know, really coveted drake that was purple. Because, you know, I would, of course, want a purple dragon to ride around on. Um, you had to complete all of the holiday um, quests and quest lines. And they have one week of um, Children's Week. I think it was in April. And almost all of the quests were PvP related, mm -hmm. where you actually had to get like an orphan child and take an orphan child through a PvP zone and make sure they survive the entire, you know, round, the entire um, battleground, you know, that they survived, that they stayed alive. And of course, there's lots of griefing that goes on in this because people know that you're trying to get that achievement. So they're working really hard to, to kill the little orphan that you've brought in with you. And that's when I was like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah. What it, uh, what's right. griefing? Oh, griefing is when somebody is per another player is making something that you're doing particularly difficult, often in a um, unnecessary way. Yeah, I, I think that happens a lot. Like when we talked about respawning, mm -hmm. you can respawn as well. If you die in a situation, there usually is a checkpoint at which your character can respawn. Right, and that actually is a great segue that we can advertise. We're going to be talking about permadeath in game in one of our upcoming episodes where your character dies and that's it. Yeah. And game. there is no, yeah, there is yeah. no respawn and there is no coming back. So permadeath is going to be our, our closing of uh, 2012 episodes. So stay tuned but, for that one. Yeah. But typically in the game, your character dies and you get another chance. Exactly. You either and, pay or what? you pay a fee like you do in Borderlands. There's a fee to have them reconstruct you or you pay a percentage of your gold or whatever it is. One form of griefing is, I believe it was in Call of Duty, You, if, if your character dies, you respawn at a checkpoint and some of the other players on the opposing team will just stand at that checkpoint and yeah. as soon as you respond, they just shoot you again. Yeah, they can just continue to, to sort of take you out as you come back. That was actually a feature in the Battlegrounds of World of Warcraft as well, where the other... I actually think they ended up making it so that other um, players couldn't actually get up to the spawn points. <laughs> so you did have a, a, a level of protection from them. But yeah. that's often the case where people just sit there and, and grief you by killing you as soon as you come back in. <laughs> I had that happen in World of Warcraft, actually. I was flagged for PvP after doing one of these um, missions, and there was a horde rogue of some kind who can hide so you don't actually see them um in like the capital city and he kept sneaking up behind me and killing me like in one shot because i was really low level at the time <laughs> so every time he killed me i had to respawn and come back to life and then he would do it again because you have to run back to where your body is so he would just stand over where my body had been and then kill me when i got back <laughs> Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's a, that's one of my main complaints about PVP plays. Mm -hmm. I just, I, I don't approve of that kind of. Yeah, well, I, it's not that I don't approve. I mean, if people want to set up mm -hmm. a server or a, a, a rating group where they want to do that, you know, that's fine. Right. But that's not the way I want to play a game. I want to get my achievements. I want to level, I want to get my XP and I want to enjoy the game. And if I don't get a chance to accomplish any mission, if I don't get a chance to get better, mm -hmm. it, there's no fun in it for me. Right. Exactly. And it just, it can keep setting you back. And if it's not your play style, you know, it's just not your play style and there's nothing, yeah. there's really nothing wrong with that. That's just, that's just how it is. So 
Um, yeah. Do we have any other? I think that pretty much covers most of what we no, were. I think I think it's a good overview yeah. of FPS. If anybody's got any further questions um, about first-person shooters, uh, just let us know. We This is the third issue of our uh, gaming, beginner gaming series, and we'll continue this on. If there are any particular topics about gaming that you guys would like to know more about, be sure and let us know. Yeah. Um, if you've got particular questions about first-person shooters or whether a game is a first-person shooter, there um, uh, are all the questions are valid. We'd love to get that feedback and know whether our information is very helpful or not. Yeah, we'd love to. We'd love to hear if you have any questions or if we didn't address something you think we missed some major aspect of FPS games, please let us know. We'd love to hear. We'd love to hear your critiques as well as your comments and questions and ideas about what we got going on. Yeah. You've been listening to Game On Girl. I'm Rhonda Oglesby, the co-host. You can follow me on Twitter at Row Room. That's R-H-O, R-H-O-O-M. You can read my tech blog at droolonthefrog.com or email me, Rhonda, at gameongirl.com. And I'm your host, Regina McMenemy, or Doc Liz with two Zs on Twitter. Thanks so much for listening. And as always, we appreciate your feedback and your engagement with us here at Game On Girl. Game on Girl is edited with Audacity, and the theme song Good Day by Triple Fox is used under a Creative Commons license. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us on iTunes or on Stitcher Streaming so you can hear the latest shows as soon as they come out. And until next time, game on!